Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Weatherman podcast. I'm here with Josh Fish again. So, hi. Hi, hi I'm Josh. Today, we'll be talking about play to earn, game fi, Web3 games, crypto games, whatever you want to call them. Uh, we, we believe that they'll be a big part of the future and a part of the, the passion based income movement. And we're, we're very excited to sort of dive in with this topic. So, Josh, do you have what are your what are your initial sort of experiences or touch points with with these types of games? What's your first impression? Of- I'm not too sure about them. A lot of the games seem kind of just a way to make money really fast, or a promise to make money really fast by a lot of developers. And usually, the games aren't too interactive or engaging. But we'll see in the future if that changes or not. Yeah. So like potential is definitely there, but current opportunities are somewhat limited with sort of the, when, when you compare them to status quo games, we'll call them, they're, they're a lot less advanced at this point in time, but a lot of the new games are sort of gearing up towards the metaverse and, and how we integrate with that metaverse will definitely change in the future, I reckon. One, one of the sort of big sticking points, well, not sticking points, but the big sort of value add for gamers is the whole earning side of it. Somewhat limited, especially if you're in like a, a developed country, for sure. But in countries like in Southeast Asia or in Africa, where cost of living is probably equal to $10,000 US a year, these, these games can you know fund a lot of a lot of that income that you need in in the instance that you know you don't have a job and you know economies can struggle uh especially in developing countries and especially with things like covid and that's sort of one of the the big drivers in the recent popularity with these games people in developing countries especially thailand thailand got a big sort of uptick in in these in this gaming industry and yes they they were able to sort of offset the sort of the COVID crisis as it relates to income with with these games so there's definitely upside could you explain what a pay to earn game is sure so normal game is you know fifa call of duty you play you have fun all that good stuff play to earn games are sort of geared in a way for you to earn cryptocurrency or nfts or both best examples like axie infinity it's probably one of the biggest ones right now you'll you you sort of buy monsters and you you battle against other people's monsters or the cpu and you you get small love potions which is a, a cryptocurrency and the monsters are, are nfts so you can buy monsters you can breed monsters and you can accrue value in that way. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. How is value created for these monsters and cryptocurrencies made within these games? Okay. Well, with the monsters, I would say the value is created with how good they actually are, their competence or their merit, right? Like the, the price of a monster is proportionate to how good that monster is. Right. With the cryptocurrency, like it's it's 
almost completely based off how much people are willing to pay for the so the monsters are nfts with clear use cases in the game and usually to breed monsters uh you need small love potions which is the cryptocurrency to to actually breed them so the the there's sort of a, a specific use case for that token. Yeah. Uh, so our crypto like tokens or currency, just uh, a way of just like in-game currency, like any other game, like let's say like gold or whatever, like in-game gold. Is yeah. it the same thing? Well, yeah, it's it's an in-game currency for sure, but it has the the bridge. Usually the, the bridge between like an in-game currency and sort of our like separate currencies are very one way. We can only put money into a game, but we can't get it back out. Uh, whereas these, this sort of movement is sort of has effectively made that relationship a, a two-way street. Does that, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I would like to go against that though, because for, for years games have had in like in-game values, but real world conversions. Like for example, CSGO, one of the biggest games um, in the past decade had in-game skins, for example, yeah. which were converted into real money. And like right now there's skins in that game that go for hundreds of thousands of dollars and like tens of thousands of dollars as well. Yeah, you there's can, you can like still um, claim that money back from the game. Yeah, there's definitely like instances where like you don't need blockchain to do this stuff. But I'd say the the blockchain helps with scalability primarily. And also it I think it also assists people with like onboarding into crypto in general. And these these currencies have utility in terms of DeFi and and other NFT use cases. So I'd say that the ecosystem has potential to be bigger than say like the CSGO example. And also like CSGO is kind of rare in that. Like you'd, you'd never see like a FIFA game or a Call of Duty game where, you know, you can get that money out very easily. Like, I feel like that's much like it's right now, it's kind of like the exception rather than the rule. Would you agree? I think it's a actual like standpoint by the developers. They've chosen not to include it yeah. instead, because basically if like, say for FIFA, like EA, for example, a lot of their games, they want you to do in-game purchases yeah. and that's like a transaction and that's the way they can um, generate money as well yeah but if you start taking that money out it's a bit harder to say how much money the company's actually made from those in-game purchases and as as it gets traded across on like a market so i think it's more of the business standpoint yeah including that yeah for sure and i think that's like that's kind of like the one the one of the biggest sort of competitive advantages for the crypto games if they can sort of level the playing field in terms of actual like like the actual merit of the games like are they as engaging as a csgo or a fifa or or a call of duty they they they've sort of aligned their incentive structures more with the the game and sort of shared value with them and i suppose like they can attach 
transaction fees and royalties with their NFTs, which is something that we spoke about in previous episodes that you can do. So it like I I don't think like the old breed of games is is dying, but I definitely think that there will be a lot more balance in terms of play to earn versus just play. And EA EA and Ubisoft have already talked about adopting these sorts of incentive structures and with the blockchain technology, like mm-hmm. that they've sort of included it in the not really a roadmap, but they said it's coming. So they're they're big big believers of the space as well, which I found interesting. I think I think it's one of those like adapt or die things for them. Maybe that's probably how they see it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I think like it's good for gamers and it especially once you start attaching other use cases to that to whatever token that you're owning, whether that whether you can you know it becomes a virtual reality world and sort of in a metaverse game, and you you essentially live in that world someday in the future. So that that the value in that is the the future sort of utility of that currency, or or you could just make it a lot more symbiotic with sort of DeFi and and use the the currencies for loans and stuff like that. So like the, there's clear like there's clear potential in the value, but it's not always backed up with sort of like rigorous economic. Um, planning i'd say but there's definitely potential cool opportunities in the space like you can build the games and you can you know help develop them and advise that's obvious you can play the games that's also obvious i think yeah we don't really need to go in too much depth about that unless you have something specific to i think there's an opportunity for like lazy developers to make a lot of money right now from yeah. play to earn games yeah a lot of the games that are coming out are very easy to make and you can make them like within a day yeah so and then if you get like a community behind it which is usually people that are looking to just gain a lot of money really quickly these these like pay to earn games have like a massive inflated value yeah but yeah that, that's one big opportunity for a lot of developers right now conversely because the standard of games is so low right now if someone does it properly they're probably they're going to have a pretty big first movers advantage in terms of high quality play to earn games they can yeah. definitely snap up a lot of attention mm. uh the, the only thing yep. with that is though i reckon right now a lot of like massive games like among us or like four guys aren't actually that hard to make compared to some others such as Battlefield or Call of Duty. But we're seeing right now that those easier games to make are like more addicting and like more fun like compared to those like massive titles. Yeah, definitely. Sure. I mean, like my brother just started playing Axie Infinity like a week ago and now he can't get off it. And like, hey, he and I like grew up, like we played Pokemon, played Yu-Gi-Oh! like card games. We were into the, that sort of like monsters battling other monsters sort of stuff and training your Pokemon and stuff like that. So there's definitely like, there's definitely parallels or equivalencies to those sort of big brand titles in terms of, you know, yeah. monster, monster games are usually pretty fun and like usually yeah. pretty easy to recreate. Yeah, the biggest one right now, I think is Hearthstone with those card yeah. game battles, yeah. definitely. 
There's there's even like a there's a fantasy football one, which I was interested to find out, but <laughs> yeah, actually, it hasn't been done too well. Sorry, a lot a lot of my viewers, you don't know, I'm a huge football fan, so it's right up my ass. So I'll be watching out for that one in, in the future to see <laughs> when that upgrades. Yeah, oh, I'm keen for that for sure. Other opportunities, probably the biggest one and one that people don't really know too much about is gaming guilds, which basically when you start playing these games, there's usually some kind of monetary barrier to entry. Like there are free monsters on Axie Infinity, but they're actually like pretty bad. So you're going to have a tough time actually earning on Axie. In Sandbox, you have to buy land. With any of the metaversal games, you have to buy land. So the the workaround for this, for, for people who don't have the capital to actually get started, especially when like a plot of land on Sandbox is like worth $5,000 minimum, is gaming guilds. Now, what, what are gaming guilds? What are their function? How do they operate? Usually they're, they're set up with like a DAO structure, but they don't have to be. If you don't know what that is, check out episode two. We, we went in depth on, on DAOs. But their functionality is basically they, they rent out, they, the gaming guild buys the infrastructure for whatever that game might be. So for Axie, it's a good monster. For sandbox, it's a it's a plot of land, so on and so forth, and they rent it out to to new gamers who want to play the game, and in return they get a split of the revenue uh, that the gamer earns. So let's bring it back to Axie because that's the the easiest example. YGG, they're the biggest gaming guild, or the well most well known for sure. Could you explain what YGG is? So YGG is a gaming guild. Okay. Are we are we good up until this point? That, does, what, what does YGG stand for though? Does it stand oh, for yield Guild Gaming or Yield Guild okay. Games? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they're a gaming guild. We are we clear on? Well, I'll go through the example. We'll be clearer. So YGG, they buy a, a monster on Axie Infinity for ten thousand dollars. Right, someone like you or me probably not willing to do that straight off the bat and start like earning lots of love potions, right? Because we don't have the the spare money lying around for that sort of thing. So what they do is they rent it to somebody like us, and because we have such a good monster, and we essentially we get it for free for no upfront cost. We play the game, we do well. We, we earn a lot of love potions, but as part of the terms and conditions for the contract of getting, of loaning that monster, of borrowing that monster from YGG, we, we accept a, a revenue split. So they get like 30% of the revenue of the small love potions that we earned with that monster. Does that make sense? Yeah, when you rent out a monster, do you have to pay for the rent or is it free to rent out? On Axie, the model is usually free to rent and you give them revenue. Because like if you if you think about it, like it, it makes more sense to do it that way because prices can be pretty volatile. So rent, like the like paying for rent might not be, it's not there's not a lot of stable runway to pay for rent sometimes. So a revenue split is a lot safer for the person lending out the monster 
I'd say. But in other instances, I'm sure there is sort of actual rental fees. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, you know, pick your own poison sort of situation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, those are gaming guilds. You can start your own. You can be a member of them and invest in them. You can be a community manager. You know, again, if you go back to the DAO functionality and all the roles associated with that, which we, we, we sort of dived into, there, there's a lot of alignment in terms of opportunity there on top of the play to earn stuff. So I think that, I think that they're definitely an interesting sort of byproduct of the, of the gaming space. But again, the, the downside for them is probably when these economies collapse, these in-game economies collapse, they, their sort of profit margin gets diminished because the value of all the monsters, whatever the asset in question is, goes down. So the barrier to entry is a lot lower. People won't be renting as much. But I, I guess that there's equivalencies to that in the real world, I'd say. So, yeah. So, do you think that play to earn games like because the, initially I thought, oh, they like they these are pretty cool. You can earn money and all that stuff. And then I saw my brother like start playing, like wanting to play Axie Infinity, and he basically had to jump through all these loopholes with setting up the wallets and the exchange and you know, having this currencies and onboarding onto these different sort of main nets. I was like, oh, this is a great incentive to actually onboard people into the cryptocurrency ecosystem. Do you think, do you think that like, that's sort of the biggest upside? Like say you're a proponent of Web3, do you think that play to earn is probably like the best way to, to get people interested in being in the cryptocurrency yeah. ecosystem? I think play to earns just a facade to get people into crypto and continue getting um, people interested in crypto and Web3. I, I think like the game is like there, but it's kind of in the background. Like no one really cares about the game. Like I got a couple of friends that play play to earn games and yeah. they don't really care what game they're playing. They kind of more care about what token they're going to get, how much they get for each token. So, yeah. I think it's a big play just to get people into crypto. You seem you seem against the play to earn games. Do you want to? I I am against the play to earn games. <laughs> do you have Do you have a rant in your head that you just want to get off your chest? Not really, because I, I don't I don't actually know too much about them. Okay. But I think it's like a way for like businesses to get people on board and maybe get more innocent people on board. Like I know, for example, a couple of years ago, there used to be a lot of gambling associated with games. Yeah. And biggest thing with that was a lot of younger kids, like kids under 18 were getting into gambling because of the games they were playing. And that had like real, real world um, consequences, such as lo losing actual money and stuff like that. So I yeah. think it's a bit similar as like games are usually for a younger audience and they're a bit more innocent minded. So you could have like a little kid make like a meta mask wallet and then link it to this game, but then eventually get stuck into like a crypto rabbit hole and maybe get onto like some scam projects or something like that. But yeah, I'm not too sure about the pay to earn games. <laughs> okay. So 
my okay my question for you is do you think that's a problem specifically with play to owner games or just the the people who are developing them like what what who's your beef with specifically i think like do you think the concept is just bad or do you think it attracts bad people or is that i think the concept will attract bad developers that that realize the audience that these pay to earn games like getting people um into so like for example how you said a lot of poverty stricken countries are getting into um these pay to earn games i know it sounds bad but people will use that as a way to kind of benefit from them and like you like use them as a, a, a tool to make them more money so say you could like show that this this guy in africa is getting more money it could be like a way to employ more people and that could be a risk for the that like person but yeah but there is the flip side where there could be good developers that use the pay to earn to kind of make maybe a game that they were making by themselves for a very long time to actually get wind and start like or making them money but also other people money but yeah there's yeah. like a two-sided thing yeah i think that's like i think that's the general thing with crypto in general is that you know it's easier to scam people because again we, we keep going back to this it's decentralized so there's a low curation it's self-governed so it's it's very much like when when we start these sorts of projects that are meant to have proper use cases there it's a very it's a very free market so again a lot of people get burned but you also probably find out quicker that projects don't get protected as well so when people do get found out their reputations screwed the the games essentially get abandoned and i think i think eventually the the cream rises to the top is what i'm saying so yeah i think you should, i think the developers will know that when they screw people over they will be screwed like get um like taken out of the crypto space anyway so they'll yeah. probably like think like opportunity cost wise like if i make x amount of dollars it's fine for me to leave because i've already made like a good amount so that's that's like another thing but there is good projects out there it's just there is a risk so your your main beef with the play to earn is just the, the scammers yeah so. it's just the developers that's the main beef but also pay to earn as well like i think it attracts more scammers than good developers do you think it attracts more scammers and like good developers like as, as opposed to other sort of crypto like use cases like DeFi or like we talked about nfts and DAOs. And i Not guess they're all really. related I, it's yeah. more compared to like actual like non-crypto minded like games like yeah. A lot of indie developers want to make a game because not really because of the money, but because of they just like making games. Um, right. A good example is Notch, the developer for Minecraft. Yeah. Even though eventually he made like a billion dollars at the start, there's a really good documentary on YouTube about how Minecraft is made. He's just a guy making video games for fun. This one game he made started getting a lot of traction. And usually he would stop making a game and go to the next. But then for Minecraft, it's like, oh, I kind of want to see this out since there's so many people riding on me to make this game. 
Like there would be definitely pay to earn developers like that. But since money is uh, a thing in those games, it, it, it will attract a lot of bad developers. Yeah, I, I honestly, when you when you build something that's actually that good and like people start like putting, like you have like social pressure from people you, you quasi know to, to do do well for the project i think like you become a lot more attached to it but again there are cynical bad people out there but i think yeah. that's in any space yeah do you think like we so we talked about like the ease of crowdfunding with nfts do you think like this is a much better way to actually start gaming projects as opposed to I don't know. Like, do, do you know how funding works with games? I, I assume it's usually like some big venture capitalist or angel investor who you have to um, get on board. Right now, not really. I don't think you need a massive amount of money to actually make games. Right. Another, another bit, like there's heaps of examples of really big games that stem from like a small amount of investment, like money-wise. Being like Stardew Valley, FNAF, which is Five Nights at Freddy's, those two games are made by one developer who was just making it in his free time. For example, Stardew Valley, I think was made over like four years. And it was just this guy who was unemployed was trying to find a job in software engineering as he lived in Silicon Valley, couldn't find one. So he just started making this game. And then it just exploded when he was when he found there was a community for it. So yeah, so I don't think there's a high ceiling to actually make games right now. Okay. But yeah. But pay to earn will definitely attract people that want maybe a steady income while making the game. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Do do games take a while to start making money? I, I actually don't know um, too much about it. I I think it does, to yeah. be honest. A lot of indie games usually don't even make money yeah. um, at the end. But yeah, a lot of games have a massive risk of you're literally not going to make money from it. Yeah, but, even if they um, are big. Even if they are big as well, like I think Slender Man, if you remember that one from like 2010, yeah. that was a free game on the internet. That was a um, like a scary game. And I think yeah. that developer didn't make as much money as he could have because he just sold it for free. So yeah, pay yeah. to earn will definitely attract developers who like want to have a low risk way of making games, which, which is like a really good thing, but just have to watch out for the bad developer out there. Yeah. So it's it's not all bad, Josh. I think yeah, it's not all bad. Yeah, but I reckon right now, because of the like massive hype around it, there could be a way for oh, absolutely. Yeah, like yeah, it's a like a deception phase. Like it's promising a lot, but it's not delivering enough probably right now. And that, yeah, that's sort of like once when you're in the early like on it. That's the sort of the the game of being an early adopter of anything. It's like the upside is so huge, but the risk is also pretty big. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of, it attracts a lot of fraudsters and stuff like that. Yeah. Like my cool. risk appetite's pretty big, but um, yeah. I know older people, mine. your risk, your risk appetite starts to lower yeah. as you get older. Cool. So from this discussion today, what sort of three takeaways have you? Um, Three big takeaways. There's a monster card game now. Maybe his brother keeps playing. <laughs> Axie Infinity. 
access to infinity pay to earn earn games are um good ways for like develop developers to kind of get their games out there and also people in poverty can use these games to make a um, good standard of living especially with Weeby's example of like an african kid where the salary for that year is like ten thousand dollars you yeah, can definitely they, make more than you, that through pay to earn yeah but in night I know for a fact in Nigeria, in like Lagos, that the cost of living is like $12,000 US. So if you can, you know, make 30% of that with play to earn games, and there's definite upside. And it's a great way to onboard people into the whole crypto ecosystem as well, is what I'd say. Exactly. That was my biggest sort of takeaway. Cool. Mm-hmm. Anything else to add? No, I think that's it. Cool. All right. Well, thank you everybody for, for listening today and there'll be some podcast notes. Make sure you check them out in the description below or if you're on, on the website, there'll be sort of a blurb attached. And yeah, make sure you dive into that. There'll be a lot of links to the opportunities that we sort of discussed, provide a manual to help you get started and stuff like that if you're interested. And yeah, enjoy and enjoy the experimentation. All right. See you everybody. Bye-bye. See ya.